Good morning. We're going to look at one verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5. Let's turn there for a moment. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're going to look at the center of this verse today and consider what does it mean to be content? Let me ask you this morning, Are you content today? Well, let's take a look at what it means to be content. Now, this word content comes from a Greek word, archaeo. It means to be satisfied, to be enough for, to be sufficient for. If I'm content with such things as I have, that means that I'm satisfied with what I have. I don't need anything else. What I have is sufficient for me. I don't need anything else. And this is actually a command from the Lord. The Lord is telling me in this verse to be satisfied with what I have. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy also talks about contentment. In chapter 6, we covered it not too long ago. This is chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now, to my knowledge, everyone here at Calvary Bible Chapel has food and clothing. No one I know of here, no one I know of here is starving. No one I know of here has to worry about what to eat, drink, or wear on a daily basis. In fact, I would say a few of, the, a few of us in this room have ever been in that position. Really, having food and clothing, I should be content. There's a lot of people in this world who don't have those things. And yet, I venture to say, and I'll include myself in this, that at some point, more often than maybe we would care to admit, you become discontent with life. You become discontent with the things that you have. And it's not because all of a sudden you do not have food or clothing. Now, Lord's commands are given for a very good reason. Our sinful nature gives us a tendency and the desire to do the opposite of what the Lord commands. So when the Lord says, be content with such things as you have, well, the fact is, we have the tendency to be discontent with what we have. The fact is, it's easy for us to um, look at what others have instead, and suddenly we're discontent. You know, I may have a good job, I may have a roof over my head. I may have the finances to provide for myself and my family. I may have family and friends around me. 
I may have all my bodily needs taken care of, and yet I can become discontent. So how does this happen? When we see um, part of it in Hebrews 13.5, going back to that verse, now a lot of discontentment arises from what is mentioned in the first part of the verse, covetousness. So what's covetousness? Now the writer in Hebrews is telling me not to be covetous. Covetousness is when I have fixed my desire on something. I'm really focused on something that is not mine, and I really want it. There's a focus on my mind on what I don't have. Now the word in Hebrew is it really focuses especially on money. That's true, we can't easily become discontent when we have a desire fixed on money and on material things. The Ten Commandments warn us against coveting our neighbor's house, our neighbor's wife, servants, livestock, and other possessions. I'll just give you an example of how this might play out in real life, in everyday life. Say um, I see that my neighbor has a much nicer car than I do. And it could be that my own car is perfectly good. It does a job, it has no problems, it's perfectly serviceable, but when I see that my neighbor has a much better car than I do, I'm thinking, well, I'd kind of like a better car for myself. My own car seems kind of like an old piece of um, thing that needs some more maintenance. Or perhaps I see that someone has purchased a nice home for themselves. And while the, I may have been happy with where I was living beforehand, it seems like, well, the rental property, the place I was renting, no longer seems quite as good as it did. And while the covetousness mentioned here in Hebrews focuses especially on money, coveting anything can really make me discontent with what I have. I can covet family and relationships. Maybe I notice that my neighbor seems to have a good marriage and good children. Well, perhaps 10 minutes ago, I was content with being a single person, but then you know, I'm suddenly discontent with being single and without children. Or perhaps I notice that my children are not as well-behaved or as well-mannered as the neighbor's kids, and I become discontent with the children the Lord's given me. Now, with all those things I mentioned, all these possessions, all these relationships, there's nothing wrong with them in themselves. But, you know, ask yourselves these questions. Will having wealth or material possessions make me happy? Will having finished school and having a good job make you happy? Will having a significant other make you happy? Will having a new house make you happy? Will having children make you happy? Now, it's kind of funny, but when people eventually do get these things I mentioned, they often find they're not all they're cracked up to be. We often have an unreal, unrealistic, idyllic picture of what those things are when we don't have them. 
Now, I don't think we have to go into much detail about some of these things. But the fact is, a lot of the fulfillment and joy we expect these things to offer, they don't. Now, we don't really have to go into money. I think most of us realize here that you know, money will not bring us happiness. You could just look at the stories of a lot of the lottery winners out there and just see their lives are miserable. Now, in terms of work, now I can remember when I was a student, when I, especially when I was going through grad school, I was thinking to myself, I was kind of idolizing, you know, how much simpler life is going to be when I have a full-time job and provide for myself. It's gonna be, my life's just going to be great at that point. And then I started working full-time in the long hours, and I realized, oh, yes, working full-time is hard, and in some ways being a student was simpler. And you know, when I was single, I thought about how awesome marriage would be. And don't get me wrong, marriage is a very good thing. I do not regret ever getting married to Christina. <laughs> but there are times, especially like say there are, you have disagreement or argument, and suddenly a house with two people gets very, very tense and very, very small very quickly. Your time and space are really not your own anymore when you're married. In a way, life is simpler being single. And children. Now, children, of course, are a blessing from the Lord. It says in the Psalms that, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And your Lord willing, I'll be a father in a few weeks. But then your time is really, really not your own anymore. Once you have children, the times are gone now where you can have uninterrupted sleep. Gone are the times where you can go on a date night just impromptu. No more. Now, some other things that can make us become discontent. Sometimes, sometimes waiting is hard. Maybe I've been waiting for something from the Lord for years and years. I've been praying about it, and nothing seems to be happening. We can get impatient. We can, go, we can grow weary in our Christian lives. Maybe we've been trying for years and years and trying to share the gospel with people and doing evangelistic outreaches, and we seem to see little results from our actions. And I wonder why am I not seeing any fruit from the work of the Lord? And I can become discontent with my ministry. Perhaps I see other people and I say, well, they seem to be so much more fruitful in their work for the Lord. And what do I have? Maybe I'm not married. I've been praying for a spouse. It seems like nothing's, nothing's happened. There's no one around. And it seems like there will never be anyone around. I begin to question, why is the Lord not providing what I need? Perhaps, perhaps I've been going through a trial for a very, very long time, and it seems like there's no end in sight. And I ask the Lord, why am I still in this condition? Why am I still suffering? 
And this discontentment, it can lead to all kinds of wrong thinking about God. You know, I think I might turn to the Lord and say, why are you not giving me what I want? Why are you withholding something that I need? I might even have a sense of entitlement. Lord, haven't I served you faithfully? Don't I deserve better? And, you know, I'll freely confess to having done this recently. Now, um, as many of you know that Christine and I, we've been looking for a house for the past year. And it's been a bit of a discouraging process. We've been outbidded on a number of the houses we've tried to get. And this last house, just a couple weeks ago, we found we could not get because we had our offer accepted, but we could not afford the repairs. And I have to admit, for a little time, I got upset with the Lord. I said, Lord, haven't I helped build your own building here at Calvary Bible Chapel? Couldn't you provide me my own building? Now, it didn't take me long to realize how wrong my thinking was. Because the fact was, you know, a house is not an absolute necessity. It might be nice, but space-wise, you know, Christine and I were fine just staying in our rental house. And I considered the Lord Jesus himself. You know, the Lord Jesus was a homeless person, really. You know, the person I call my king, my savior, he did not have a house of his own. He said, Foxes have holes and birds there have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Well, let's put things in proper perspective here of who the Lord is exactly. The Lord is not someone who withholds things from us, He's not holding back. We look at verses like Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The Lord promises to provide for our daily necessities like food and clothing and shelter. Let's turn for a moment to Psalm 84. I'm just going to read one verse. This is verse 11. <clears throat> For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord says... He will not withhold anything good when we are walking with him. Now, if I want to claim a verse like this for my own, I need to be sure, of course, that I'm walking uprightly. Because if I'm not walking with the Lord, if I have any kind of sin in my life, then I can't expect to receive anything good from the Lord. But the promise is here to all who decide to walk with him that he will provide what's good for them. There's something else in this verse, too, not just that the Lord is a provider, but it says here at the same time that he's a shield. 
Now, I have to admit, oftentimes when I've thought about the Lord as a shield, I think of the Lord protecting me from things like the attacks of the enemy, the attacks of Satan, from sin, from persecution, from harm. But, you know, coupled with the fact that this fact that he's mentioned as a shield is, is also right in this verse where he's mentioned as a provider. The fact is the Lord shields us from harm and what he provides in our lives. There are some things that I might really desire. There's some things that might seem really good to me that I, might, that I would want to have right now, but they may not be good for me. And the Lord shields us from those things too. Just to give you an example. You know, as, um, if you're a parent, then you know, you know what to give your kids, and you know when to give your kids things. Now, something, um, maybe you know, my father-in-law is an avid fisherman. And I think I overheard him already at some point asking, like, when is the grandchild going to be ready to go fishing? <laughs> you know, and I have no doubt that my father-in-law would love to give a fishing pole to his grandson as a gift. And it would be a very fine gift. But it's not a gift that's gonna work for him as a toddler. You know, he has to be the right age to receive it. Otherwise, he's gonna probably wreck the pole and may hurt himself. And just coming to, and I could say personally for myself, just in terms of things received from the Lord. You know, if I can remember being impatient in my single days to be married, and, you know, if I had my way, I would have been married at 30 years old. But just looking at how the past three years have gone with Christina, I realized, you know, at 30, I really was not ready to be married. Just looking at my own sinfulness in the past three years, and, you know, being married will show you your own sinfulness. No, being married at 30 probably would not have been good. As I mentioned earlier, too, maybe we are discontent in our work for the Lord. We labor for Him, we labor for years and years, and it seems like we see no results, or very few. Now, how long does it take to see fruit? It can actually take a very long time. Now, we're used, I think we've been, we've had our perspective on how long it takes to see fruit, we've had it clouded by present-day life. We live in a society where um, instant gratification is common. If I want to have a certain item by tomorrow, I can just um, use my Amazon.com app on my cell phone or something with 24-hour shipping. But that's not how the Lord often works. In fact, the Lord calls us to be patient. Now, the book of James, James is writing to believers who have been scattered abroad due to persecution. They're going through hard times. And um, when going through hard times, it's a time that's easy to be discontent and impatient. But this is what James writes in chapter 5, verse 7. James says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives an early and latter rain. You also be patient. 
Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And elsewhere, it's, um, second, in 2 Timothy, Paul also exhorted believers to be like farmers when he said the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, you know, like I would freely admit, I, am, I tend towards impatience. It's hard for me to wait. It's hard for me to be patient. I'd like to, I would like to see instant results. But let's look at the Lord's example when he commands us to be patient and looking at the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So let's take a simple piece of fruit. Let's take something like a cherry. How long does it take to get a cherry? Someone said years. Yeah. That's very, how many years do you think? Any guesses? Um, more than three. At the very minimum, it takes four years to get cherries from a tree. And really, if you want a tree that is producing at um, maximal fruitfulness, at maturity, then you have to wait seven years. But yeah, these days, you know, we're used to, um, if I want a cherry, I'll just go down to the grocery store and buy some. But thinking back to this time when you had to grow your own food, you might have to wait a long time. And really, it's that way a lot of times for the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord may take a lot of prayer, a lot of patience, years of it. I just think back to myself and um, some people I know who have shared their testimonies. It can take years of praying for someone and witnessing someone to see them get saved. So is there a cure for discontentment? You know, I've talked about all these things that can make us become discontent, but well, what now? You know, I'm not here just to tell you today, be patient, just wait, things will be fine. No. And actually the cure to discontentment is actually found right in that verse in Hebrews again. In Hebrews 13.5. Right after that command the Lord gives, be content with such things as you have. The writer of Hebrews states, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now why does he mention that right now? I mean, that's a nice promise, a great promise from the Lord to be sure, but why state it right now after this talk of being content? Well, that, that promise and that mention of the Lord, it's a reminder of the great things that we do have. Every believer out there, whether you're rich or poor, you have a really great possession. You have the Lord. I just want to take a look for a moment at how this um, played out in the lives of uh, one of the Old Testament believers. I'm going to turn to, back to Genesis, chapter 14, looking at the life of Abraham, or Abram, as he was called back in uh, that chapter. Now, back in um, chapter 14 of Genesis, Abram is in a tough situation. 
or really his nephew is. His nephew Lot has been captured in a battle. There's been a war with four kings versus five kings. And Abram is there to try and rescue his, his nephew Lot. And um, Abram didn't have many men with him. He only had 318 people who were um, going to fight with him. And he was going up against four kings who, who all had armies of their own. The Lord grants him a great victory, and he succeeded not only rescuing Lot, he defeated these four kings. And it seemed like, well, at this, at this point, everyone could just go home. But at the end of the battle, something happens. The king of Sodom, and we know Sodom was a very wicked city, so this is probably a very wicked king. The king of Sodom goes out to meet Abram and offers Abram all that he wants, really. Because the king says, you can have all the spoils of war here. And, you know, there probably, were, there probably was a lot of spoils of war from this battle. There were four kings there. Now, we don't know how much in today's currency the spoils of war would have amounted to, but, you know, for all we know, Abram could have become a millionaire off this battle if he had chosen to take the goods that the king of Sodom offered. And, you know, a lot of people would have been tempted by this. And in the eyes of the world, Abram did something very foolish. He turned down the offer. This is what he says. I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram in chapter 14 here, he gave up the chance to be wealthy. He did not take anything offered to him by the king of Sodom, And then we come to chapter 15, verse 1. The timing of this verse is kind of obvious. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. The Lord tells Abram not to be afraid. So the fact was, Abram must have been afraid of something. Maybe he was concerned about his own material well-being. Maybe he was afraid of the future. We know he was concerned, of course, that you know, he had no offspring. And of course, there may have been the lingering thought in his mind that he had just said no to a whole lot of wealth. But while Abram may have let the chance to have a lot of wealth go. He had the Lord. The Lord says, I am your exceedingly great reward. And this way, Abram was much richer than if he had taken the spoils of war from the king of Sodom. So let's consider for a little, for a moment, how is the Lord your exceedingly great reward? Now, something, he tells Abraham, he doesn't call himself a rewarder. He calls himself the reward. Now, certainly, 
we can say the Lord's given us many things. As I mentioned earlier, the Lord promises to supply a believer with the necessities of life. You know, based on God's word, there's really no need for me to ever worry about material things. The Lord says that the world is mine in all its fullness. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And I have no shortage of spiritual blessings. In the book of Ephesians, it said that the Lord has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's Ephesians 1.3. But the reality is, it's not about what the Lord's given us. It's really He Himself that we should be, it's really the Lord Himself that we should be content with, not the things He gives us. This is what some of the psalmists say. This is Asaph from Psalm 73. He says, The Lord, the Lord's my portion forever. Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion says, my soul, therefore I hope in him. And David, King David writes that just really bring, being in the Lord's presence gives him joy. He writes, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, I have to say, you know, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to dwelling in the mansion that the Lord's prepared for me. But let me look at the Lord himself. Now, I have to confess, there's many days I take the Lord for granted. I don't, I don't really take the time to appreciate him for who he is a lot of times. But, you know, when you look back to when you were first saved, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was first saved and convicted of my sin, I realized what a wicked, sinful person I was. And I realized, wow, the Lord loves even me. You know, the Lord is so loving, so compassionate, so caring. And when I think about how the Lord's been very long-suffering with me over the years, though there may have been years where I've, I've stumbled and, not, and displeased Him, but yet He's so patient with me and so kind. And just let me consider that promise again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And one thing I realized when I was first saved, I realized I will never, ever truly be alone. I have a friend for life, really eternal life. No, no, one, no one's ever had a friend like the Lord. And let me just consider, too, the names of God. Just, just give you a couple examples. Abraham calls the Lord Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Just his name, he said, the Lord says he will provide. Now, by faith, I can take the Lord at his word. I can really take him at his name and say that he is the Lord who will provide. Another name. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. It implies that 
God is our sustainer, the one in whom we find sufficiency, one who, the one who freely nourishes us and blesses us. So coming back to those situations in life, those times where you are discontent, maybe you're discontent with your work, your family or lack of family, discontent with your situation in life in general. Times like these, you know, take some time to consider your exceedingly great reward, the Lord Jesus. Are you content with the Lord? Is he enough for you? You see, if if you take him as word for who he is, he's more than enough. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for, Lord, just being such a loving Savior and loving God. And we, Lord, we want to be content. Lord, we want to be content with things we have. And, Lord, we realize, Lord, we have all we need in you and more than we need. Thank you in Jesus' name.